Welcome back to Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena. I'm Jack Llewellyn. Didn't have a podcast last week, and I missed doing it. I missed talking to all of you. There were a couple of reasons why we didn't do one last week. One is it was Memorial Day weekend, had a lot going on. Specifically, my daughter, who's 10 and wants to be an actress, um, had it had a lot going on with respect to those acting things, and I was very involved in helping her, which was great fun, but also took up a whole lot of time. And so I just didn't feel like I could do a do a good podcast, and I didn't want to do an episode that, that I didn't think put my best foot forward, so we skipped a week. There also was a little bit of contemplation going on. Uh, a little bit of thinking about where I wanted the podcast to go and and what I wanted it to stand for. And I started thinking a little bit about why I started doing this in the first place. And largely, I started off because I wanted to set the record straight, principally with respect to The Last Narc and Agent Berea's. And I also wanted to give a voice to people and groups who, for one reason or another, didn't have a voice, didn't have a voice in the discussion of Kiki Camarena and the case and the development and the allegations. You know, that whole world, there's a lot of people who had knowledge or information, thoughts, feelings that couldn't necessarily be expressed. And I was trying to bring at least an element of that. And then I also thought about my beginning in this case. And I've told the story several times, and so forgive me for repeating, but you know, I started off in 1990 as a summer associate. And then I've also told the story of driving back from the federal courthouse in downtown LA on December 16th, 1992, after the jury had gone out in... Zuno 2, and I'm driving back, driving Ed Medvine back to our offices on the west side, and he looks at me and he said, Jack, do you realize you've just worked on the most exciting case of your legal career? And little did I know at the time that he was he was right. And so I thought about, you know, honoring that and that case. And, and then I really thought about the people I started working on this with. And Principally, Ed Medvin, he was our leader. He was the lead trial lawyer. He was my mentor. He was the best and most honorable lawyer I've ever met or ever expect to meet. He taught me a lot. Uh, Unfortunately, I was too stupid at the time to know how much he was teaching me. Uh, But over the years, I've thought over and over about the things he taught me, most of them about how to be a lawyer how to think about being a lawyer, how to be ethical. And and that means a lot to me. And then I thought about the rest of that group. And remember, I've always talked about there was a team going on and we had various roles at different times and they evolved over the years. But, you know, I worked with Mary Fulginiti, who was brilliant and very, very good to me. Great lawyer. Uh, she ended up being on ABC News and doing some other things. And I, I'll never forget being on a treadmill at the YMCA in Denver and looking up and there she was on, on ABC News. And it was, uh, it, it was great to see Jim Blancarte, who was on the case. It, it was actually his case, I think, from the beginning. Uh, he's now a Superior Court judge in LA, Ron DiNicola, and there were others. Just a great group of people. And I want this podcast that I want the discussions about the Camarena case to frankly to you know to do justice to to that beginning a lot of this came from some comments I got about uh the two-parter that we did on Narcos Mexico and I want to answer a couple of questions that that were raised at various times. So somebody asked me, you know, were these all of the issues that you saw in Narcos Mexico? And the answer is, of course not. I mean, think about it. Season one 
of Narcos, Mexico is about 10 hours long, right? I could have spent 10 hours easy talking about the little issues I had. And some of it we've talked about before. Um, Like I have serious issues with their portrayal of Rubens and Remember he's portrayed um, as, you know, high strung and worried and, and wimpy and all kinds of other adjectives. And, And that's not the person I knew at all. Um, so no, that wasn't all of them. It wasn't all of them from season one. I didn't, you know, wasn't all from season two, wasn't all from season three. Um, again, some we'd already discussed, some required a lot of explanation. And so if somebody listening to the podcast hadn't recently seen the shows and the particular episodes, it might be really hard to convey the issues. And so I tried to pick out the ones that I thought were most significant to the remaining issues in the Camarena case that we've talked about and will continue to talk about. Okay. So that was the, the idea behind the selection process, right? Little things that I didn't think mattered, even if they were significant, even if they were very wrong, I skipped them. Okay. I also got some questions about why I was not harder on the creators, the writers, the directors of Narcos Mexico. And remember, you know, I said that I, I, I understood that at one point all of the writers had Jaime Kirkendall's book. And despite that, several things in there aren't correct. And remember last in the, the last episode, I read directly from Jaime's book talking about how he found the truck, you know, Agent Camarena's truck the day after the kidnapping and how that didn't match up with what you see on the screen. And it easily could have. Well, why wasn't I harder on them? Because I wanted to draw a very clear distinction between their efforts at drama and things like The Last Narc or Agent Boreas' book or some other episodes or or, um, media efforts where they're trying to say, this absolutely is what happened. I can forgive dramatic license. I may not always like it, but I can forgive it, generally speaking. But when you do a documentary, when you say we are telling you the truth, then I can't forgive it. So I wanted intentionally to say, I'm not criticizing the writers, the showrunners, the producers of Narcos Mexico in the same way I am Agent Boreas and the others behind The Last Narc. That was intentional. That was purposeful. And I think it makes sense. Hey, So I think... The two-parter on Narcos Mexico did two things. One, it cleared up some misconceptions that I particularly wanted to address. And it gave us an avenue to discuss and compare and contrast other things going forward. Now, having said that, If anybody out there wants to make a documentary that's fun and interesting and truthful, give me a call. All right? I've got the outline for one sitting right here, ready to go. That, though, my friends, is all I want to talk about of the last couple of episodes where we looked at Narcos Mexico. Okay, 
Here's what we're going to talk about today. And this comes from a friend of mine um, who's a, a very loyal listener um, and knows a whole lot about this case. We're going to look at the primary theories on who ordered the kidnapping of Agent Camarena to begin with. And remember, we've talked about this in the past. That was a long time ago, and somehow we still don't know for sure. At least I don't think we know for sure who ordered the kidnapping in the first place. So we're going to look at the prominent theories, and I think there's four or five that we will look through and talk about. Before we get into each of them, I want to explain where all of this information comes from. And in general, there's like five different sources for this information. Number one, as I've just said, is Jaime Kirkendall's book. And like I said, last week I read directly from it. Going to do that again today. His book is the best record we have, I think, of the immediate um, time leading up to the kidnapping and the days right after the kidnapping. Okay? Those recollections of his put down in, the, in his book are the best that we have, especially around that time period. So that's number one source. Number two source is Elaine Shannon's Desperaz. Talked about it a lot, right? Great book, lots of work. It's it's the Bible. We're going to read from it again today. You know, the only problem with Desperados from a researcher standpoint is it cuts off at a certain period of time, which again makes makes perfect sense. Um, and I can't wait to see what comes out in the new edition that um, she has coming soon. So in addition to Jaime's book, in addition to Desperados, where else do, does the information that I talk about come from? Number one, which I guess in our list of, of places of, of evidence is actually number three, but I have a collection of DEA6 reports that I think is pretty darn extensive. Moreover, they're indexed. They're cross-indexed. Uh, had a had a great assistant who helped me and put all of this together in a way that can be searched, cross-referenced, looked at, etc. So I rely heavily on those. I also have a collection of trial transcripts. So I've got the trial transcripts from Zuno 1, Zuno 2, and a couple of other cases. Yes, I'm. my office is mostly Camarena stuff, but um, so I have those. And again, most of those have been indexed and can be accessed, can be looked at in various ways. And then last but not least are kind of miscellaneous sources of information. Interviews that I've done, talks that I've had, discussions and emails and correspondence with people. Um, and then there's a lot of stuff on the internet if you dig for it. Not all of which is reliable. Generally speaking, if I try, you know, if I bring up something that I don't think is reliable or has issues, I'll mention that. Some things I disagree with, I'll try to mention that. Um, but those are the types of sources. So that's the five places that most of this information comes from. Jaime's book, Desperados, DEA6's trial transcripts, and then interviews, conversations, miscellaneous sources. All right. So now that we understand that, and, and I really want people to understand you know, where this comes from. I'm not... None of this is being made up. Everything I can point to doesn't mean everything that I say is, is absolutely correct, right? There are many places where things contradict, you know, people contradict each other, but there's a source for it. 
All right. Let's talk about this. Who could have ordered Agent Camarena's abduction? Theory number one, the Mexican government. And who supports that theory in large part? Well, Narcos Mexico certainly did. Remember, they got to have this... um, this figure that is a composite of, of various officials, you know, Mr. X, he's the one who really orders it. Um, the person that I mentioned who suggested this topic, he really believes this. And again, he, he knows a whole lot about this case. Um, so what's the evidence in support of this? Well, number one Think about the timing. Remember, there's that House of Representatives delegation that goes to Mexico. They do a little bit of investigating. And as Elaine Shannon presents it, um, you know, there's there's some hope. Camarena is getting a little bit um, despondent. That might be too strong of a word. But the fact is, despite their best efforts, they're not really getting anywhere and this delegation comes down. There's the hope amongst Kirkendall and Cameron and others that they're really going to make an effort to improve things, to you know, kind of force the Mexican government to work with them better. And nothing really happens. And that comes leads to that quote from Desperados and Elaine Shannon in her reporting, you know, where. Agent Camarena says, I think to Agent Kirkendall, you know, what's going to happen? Is somebody going to have to die? And that when you really, when you read that after the fact is such a, you know, it's a gut punch of a quote. So we have that. There's also the notion that they, they being people in the Mexican government were making millions of dollars off of the cartel. Uh, While it might be difficult to say precisely who in the Mexican government was getting paid and how much, there is absolutely no question. I don't think anybody would say that this wasn't correct. Many, many people in the Mexican government were getting paid lots and lots of money by drug traffickers, including but not limited to those in Guadalajara, including Carlo Quintero and others. And money is a great motivator, right? So if they become concerned, they, again, is this global they of the Mexican government, become concerned, God, you know, holy crap, they got House of Representatives delegations coming down now. All this money is out there. That could be quite the motivator, right? Little question. I think that at the time, there was a lot of corruption. Uh, You know, we've talked about it before. In some respects, corruption in, in government is more of a way of life in Mexico and, and other, other places. And there's still maybe corruption and there may have been between, you know, 1985 to today. But around that time, there certainly was a lot of corruption and, and everybody seems to, to acknowledge that. You know, if you think about it from 1978-ish to 1985, there was really only one major drug trafficker who was arrested. And that was Cecilia Falcone, who wasn't even Mexican. Uh, You know, Deputy Attorney General Ortega Padilla once said during this time period that the government should destroy the crops, but not arrest the traffickers. At one time, shortly after the kidnapping of Agent Camarena, Mexican Foreign Minister Bernardo Sepulveda said on a talk show that he hadn't seen any evidence of drug trafficking in Mexico and that they, the Mexican government, didn't know who had kidnapped Agent Camarena. 
Okay, so you put that all together, and again, there's a heck of a motive for wanting to find out more, wanting to learn more about what's going on. So that gives support for the idea that the Mexican government was the one behind this. And I think we should also add to the fact that they had probably the power to kind of push this. You saw in Narcos Mexico, and again, not a documentary, um, but the idea that high-level people in the Mexican government might be able to force cartel members into doing things that they didn't want to do. And, and when I say cartel members, it's drug traffickers, including those in Guadalajara, such as Carlos Quintero or Felix Guerrero. All right. What would we say would be reasons not to think the Mexican government was the one that ordered Agent Camarena's abduction. Number one, I think, is kind of the obvious. It's just a stupid thing to do, right? If anybody's going to understand the type of response that's going to come from the United States government if a DEA agent is picked up and interrogated and eventually killed, it would be the um, the Mexican government officials who know these American officials, right? They have a relationship with them. They had to have known that all hell was going to break loose if Agent Camarena, somebody like Agent Camarena was picked up and abducted. Now, somebody might be saying, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. What if they just said, pick him up, interrogate him, but they had Rafael Caracantero do it, and he's too, you know, he was too reckless, and it went too far. Couldn't the government have done that? And the response to that, I think, is, yes, that's possible. But if it's so darn important, right, if it's so important that you want to pick up an, a DEA agent, and you know the repercussions that could come with it. And that's my philosophy on these Mexican officials, you know, especially higher level officials. They're going to know what type of repercussions would come. Then do you trust it to somebody like Rafael Caro Quintero? Wouldn't you have somebody from the military, somebody from DFS, somebody like that pick them up and do the interrogation? Go back and, and think about the, the interrogation tapes. We've talked about this before. There, there is one period where there appears to be kind of a professional interrogation, but a lot of it's haphazard. It's people talking over each other. There's nothing that indicates that it's a trained investigator. And certainly they would have had access to lots of people that could have done a better job of doing the interrogation. I also think it's interesting that if we look at that congressional in investigation or that delegation, they really didn't end up doing much. And I, I go to um, Elaine Shannon's book. And we're, again, we're in Desperados. I'm on page 229. I know they there are different um, editions, so I'm not entirely certain if every page number is going to be the same. But here's in part um, what she says about what happened. So she says in part, you know, Kirkendall and Camarena were overjoyed. Finally, they had the opportunity to make their case to people with access to real power. They went to the investigator's hotel, prepared to make an impassioned plea for political action. They said that DEA's situation was hopeless, corruption was everywhere. 
every avenue for redress was gone. Going down just a little bit, the congressional staffers urged Camarena and Kirkendall to go public with what they knew. And then a little bit further down, the congressional aides were sympathetic, but they said they could not imagine that the American government would do such a thing. There were too many other interests. To close the border would affront political economic interests, and the State Department would scream, no, it would never happen. And then here's the quote that I mentioned earlier. What's going to have to happen, Camarena said miserably. Does someone have to die before anything is done? Is someone going to have to get killed? So if the congressional people are saying, look, we can't, you know, we can't take these tremendous actions. We can't shut the border. We can't do a lot, but go to the press. Um, wouldn't you think the Mexican government would also know that that was the response? It doesn't seem like the congressional delegations, you know, investigation or meetings or whatever you want to call it, would have done anything to scare the government to think that they had to take immediate action. Something had to happen right away. So am I saying that the Mexican government couldn't have been behind this nope and again i got very good friend who is convinced that this is this is the right answer i'm just not sure it doesn't it doesn't work for me but that's the interesting and frustrating part of this case is we don't necessarily have answers okay what about another possibility what about Miguel Angel Felix Gallardo? Who supports this idea? Um, I have information <laughs> that suggests that there are former DEA agents who were involved in this case who think that it likely was M- Miguel Felix Gallardo. And... Um, Not that you necessarily have to give this lots of credence, but I'll read from I'm sorry, I'm reading from um, Elaine Shannon's book and she makes a point that Caro Quintero pointed to Felix Gallardo, when he was being interviewed after he was picked up in Costa Rica and brought back to Mexico, he said, no, 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 it wasn't me. It was Gallardo. It was that guy. And then she also says, um, she says, um, still, he insisted that he had not known what was going on. He had not even known that Camarena and Zavala were there. He had said the whole thing was the idea of Felix Gallardo. She then continues, the American agents were ready to believe that Felix Gallardo was involved in the murder, but as Caro Quintero undoubtedly knew, it did not matter what he said about the Godfather. The Federales said they had not a clue where Felix Gallardo was. The DE agents did. They had heard he was back in Sinaloa, where the best intention of the MFJP commandantes would not venture to arrest him. So this guy, you know, Elaine Shannon, and again, this is pages 317, 318 of her book. You know, she's saying, hey, (laughs) the agents at the time thought it could be Felix Gallardo. It was Carl Quintero pointing at him. Now, I do note that when he says, he being Caro Quintero insisted that he didn't even know Camarena and Zavala were there. That goes against a whole bunch of evidence, including but not limited to the testimony of Dale Stinson and others that his voice, Caro Quintero's voice, is on the interrogation tapes. But putting that aside, even if you doubt Caro Quintero's version of events, which I think would be a reasonable doubt. 
you know, the idea that the DEA agents at the time believed it may well have been Felix Garrido is important. Um, what evidence do we have to support it? The interrogation tapes are one. And for a variety of reasons, mostly to do with people that I know listen at least periodically to these podcasts, I've tried to stay away from in-depth descriptions of the interrogation tapes. And I'm going to do that again today. But suffice it to say that there are a number of questions during the interrogation about Felix Gallardo, about the DA's knowledge of Felix Gallardo, where he, you know, his offices are, where his residence is, how they know about certain activities, about money transfers, those sorts of things. So lots of information or lots of discussion in the interrogation about Felix Gallardo. We also know that the DEA had a wiretap in Felix Gallardo's office that they'd gotten in connection with or working with the MFJP. So one could ask, what if Felix Gallardo became aware of that? And would that be a another motive for wanting to pick somebody up, right? Remember, too, you know, there was Roger Knapp's car. Talked about that before. Um, so the idea that Felix Gallardo would take action against DE agents might be gleaned from that. You might think that he was... Um, you know, felt sufficiently secure that he could do things like shoot up a car, like kidnap a DEA agent, and not be, you know, um, not face repercussions for it. Perhaps the best piece of evidence is the fact that when DEA went into Felix's residence on February 11th, so just a couple days after the kidnapping, they found a picture of Kiki Camarena with two other people. But clearly, clearly, there was a picture of Kiki Camarena in Felix Gallardo's residence. That might point you in, in his direction. One could also say that Felix Gardo had the most to lose as a result of the actions of the DEA, including but not limited to Agent Camarena, right? I mean, his was the most profitable side of the business in Guadalajara. He had the relationship with the Colombians. He had the relationship with Matabiasteros. He had the relationship with the different plaza leaders. If the DEA continued to be successful as they were at Buffalo, irrespective of whether Agent Cameron had anything at all to do with that, perhaps it was, you know, that weight was significant enough that he thought it was important to do something. A couple of witnesses mentioned specifically that it was Felix Gallardo, or at least Felix Gallardo's people, who were involved in the kidnapping. So Paco Tejada and El Sami. Both, according to Elaine Shannon, this is page 293-ish of Desperados, both said that they saw people who worked directly for Felix Gallardo beating on Agent Camarena. They both say they saw Felix Gallardo at Lope de Vega during the interrogations. So that is, at least in short, and keep in mind, we could talk about all of this stuff for a very long time. And I'm going to mention this at the end, but but we're going to delve into different portions of this later. 
But in short, that's some of the best evidence in support of the idea that Miguel Angel Felix Garda was behind the kidnapping and ordered the kidnapping of Agent Camarena. Hey, what is um, evidence in opposition? Well, one that I go to is Sergio Espino Verdin. Remember, he was DFS. Um, he was at Lope de Vega. He was captured, taken to Mexico City, interrogated. There were DEA agents who were there for portions of the interrogation. And remember, when he was initially interrogated, he was asked, was Miguel Angel Felix Gallardo at Lope de Vega during the interrogation of Agent Camarena? And he said no. DEA agents then left shortly after. The, it was late at night. The interrogation was stopped. They went back, came back the next day. And the Mexican authorities said, oh, we started interviewing him without you. By the way, he remembered overnight that Felix Gallardo was, in fact, there. And also remember, they then later, the interview or the interrogation of Espino Verdeen got so brutal that the DEA agents didn't want to be part of it, and they left. So Espino Verdeen says, I was there. Felix Gallardo wasn't. The alleged other witnesses, and here I'm mostly talking about Lopez Romero, don't mention him or barely mention him. If you look at the initial... DEA 6 reports, Felix Gallardo is barely mentioned. There's discussion in various reports of Carl Quintero meeting the car with Agent Camarena, kind of saying, I got you now, you son of a gun. Um, you know, all of these things. Felix Gallardo's not mentioned at all. Or if he is, it is in a very, very ancillary sort of way, okay? The alleged conspiracy meetings, and we've talked about that ad nauseum. You know, there's like 13 different alleged conspiracy meetings. It's all a bunch of BS in my mind. But even if you believe them, Felix Gallardo is barely mentioned. He's in some of them. He's not in some. He's not a big talker. You know, uh, you've got other people, Carl Quintero, most prominently who talk about god we got to get the the de agent causing us trouble um you know frankly uh, unfortunately there's there's comments about ruben zuno arce saying things like that but felix gardo isn't prominent in any of that so you put that all together and you go god, it doesn't doesn't really quite make sense does it um because again think about lopez romero think about the other witnesses who gave you know statements shortly after the kidnapping all the way up through the Zuno trials wouldn't you want to say Felix Gardo was there he became, you know it was El Padrino he was the big guy again that would have been an easy name to name drop and yet it really didn't happen the other idea is just he was too smart to do that Look at all the bad things that happened to the traffickers in Guadalajara and in other places as a result of the kidnapping of Agent Camarena. Surely, if any of out of the big three that you know gets talked about, Carl Quintero, Fonseca, and Felix Gardo, if anybody would know, don't mess with the DEA agent, it would have been Felix Gallardo. Okay, so that's the back and forth with respect to Felix Gallardo. Could it have been Felix Gallardo behind it? Of course it could have been. You know, I want to go back. One thing I didn't mention. Remember we said that the DA had a wiretap of his office? Remember, too, that Felix Gallardo, or let me, let me say it differently. Remember the 
airport confrontation, right? And we've talked about that over and over and over. But the reason that the DEA knew to go to the airport is because of something they picked up on the wiretap. And I and others have hypothesized that maybe it was a setup to try to get Carl Quintero arrested, which, if that's the case, would mean that Felix Gallardo knew about the wiretap, which, again, could lead one to think that he might want to then take you know some form of retribution, including the kidnapping of Agent Camarena. Okay. Number three, the CIA was behind the kidnapping of Agent Camarena, whether that's directly or indirectly. This comes primarily from The Last Narc and Hector Berea's, uh, his book, his other statements, etc., what are the allegations or the evidence in support? Agent Breas says, um, you know, that Lawrence Victor Harrison or whatever name you want to go by uh, told him about it. Um, he talks, uh, you know, um, there were others from the Mexican police who had told him about it, said that it was the CIA. Um, you know, you've got all of these witnesses who came out later and said, ah, it was the CIA. Okay. We've talked about this a lot. I don't necessarily want to go through it in detail now. Also, you can point to the support that we have for the Contras, you know, that the, the, um, the, U.S. was trying to support the Contras, various allegations that one of the ways they supported the Contras was by trafficking in drugs or helping, assisting the drug trafficking and getting a profit from it or using the drug dealers to pay the Contras, various ways. So you put that together and Agent Berea's and he's probably not alone in this, is convinced that the CIA was behind this. I'll also note that the number of the number one issue that gets raised to me when we talk about this case, the number one by far, is whether the CIA was involved. And almost universally, the people who ask me about it say, I believe that's something the CIA would do. Okay. We've also said the plural of anecdote is not data, but so that anecdotal evidence doesn't mean a whole lot, but people think this is something the CIA could do. All right. What about in opposition? The witnesses that are relied upon by those who support this theory are dubious at best, right? Lawrence Victor Harrison, George Marshall, whatever the heck his name is, was an odd character, clearly had some connections, but to not conclude in talking to him and about him that he was a pathological liar, I think would be um, would be overlooking the evidence. Does that mean that everything he said was a lie? Of course not. But he embellished almost everything. We know that for a fact. The timeline doesn't fit. We've talked about that before. The the time period of the Contras just doesn't make sense. Doesn't quite fit with the idea that Agent Camarena's kidnapping somehow was related to it. It's the kidnapping is too early in the sequence of events of the of the Iran Contra affair to really make sense. I also find it. Fascinating 
that the people who support this theory can't explain why the words or the letters CIA don't show up in anything contemporaneous, right? There's not one piece of paper from Agent Camarena mentioning the CIA. There's nothing that says, I'm worried about the CIA. Nothing. Nothing at all. Remember, people who were in the office, who worked with Agent Camarena on a daily basis, said they never, ever talked about the CIA. Never came up. Also remember, at various times, Agent Boreas has said the reason Agent Cameron was picked up was he was about to discover the actions of the CIA with respect to the drug traffickers. About to discover. I don't know about anybody else, but I've said this before. I'll say it now. It doesn't make sense that you pick up somebody you pick up a fed, federal agent, a fellow American officer. You pick him up, you interrogate him on something that he might discover. Come on. Wouldn't there have been better ways to do it? And we know that Agent Camarena was about ready to leave to go to San Diego. Certainly they could have found out that information or had that information. So why do you pick him up on something he's about to discover when he's about to leave and be in San Diego and not focused on Felix Gallardo, Ernesto Fonseca, or Rafael Caracantero? Doesn't make sense. And here's the other thing that just doesn't make sense to me. What happened immediately in the aftermath of the kidnapping of Agent Camarena? Dozens or hundreds of agents descended upon Guadalajara. DEA, FBI, I assume other agencies. They looked at everything Agent Camarena had been involved in. If you're worried that he found something out or was about to discover something, would the logical thing to do be to pick him up, kidnap him, interrogate him, so that so many people descend on Guadalajara, looking at everything he did. If there was something to be found out, they would have found it. It doesn't make sense. That's not how they would have wanted to get that information. Talked about Felix Rodriguez over and over and over. Let me just say, I don't believe it at all. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit with the timeline. It doesn't fit with evidence that Felix Rodriguez has that I've looked at that I believe is authentic. It doesn't make any sense at all. And here's what else doesn't make sense. The last thing that doesn't make sense, or at least the one I want to talk about, why is it? Why is it that there's not a DEA-6 with respect to an interview of Godoy or Lopez or anyone else. Why is it there's nothing contemporaneous where they say, oh, and by the way, here was the Cuban. Nothing. Years go by before they ever mention the Cuban that was at Lope de Vega. I don't believe the evidence supports the allegations that the CIA was involved in Agent Camarena's abduction. Once again, does that mean it didn't happen? That they weren't involved? Can I say that with absolute certainty? Of course not. At least not right now. And I'm going to mention the CIA in a couple of minutes in a different vein. But the evidence in my mind doesn't support it. 
And if you're going to make grand statements, you have to have grand evidence, right? They say that in science. And I don't think Hector Breas or the last narc or anyone else who supports the CIA theory has that evidence. All right, number four, who else could have ordered it? To me, it's pretty straightforward. It's Rafael Carlo Quintero. I think that. You know who else says that? Um, Ernesto Fonseca. <laughs> now, again, you don't necessarily want to... Um, you don't necessarily want to rely on people who are trying to get out of stuff, but Elaine Shannon's book, uh, pages, oh, let's say... 292, 293, 294 make it pretty clear that when Fonseca is arrested in uh, Puerto Varda and then he's interrogated, you know, and you've got the, the great picture of him with the sunglasses and the peace sign, he points the finger directly at Rafael Caracantero. That's also supported by, you know, some of the, the stuff that Fonseca got mad at. Caro Quintero slapped him after he found out that... Cameron was either dead or almost dead, said, you know, you made this baby, you deal with it. He said, I'm getting the hell out of here. Got his people and fled to uh, Puerto Varda. So that all kind of fits. Also note, Ms. Shannon's book at, uh, let's see, page 499 also says that the Mexican officials generally thought that it was Rafael Caro Quintero. Now, again, you know, if you believe that they were the ones behind it, then of course they want to blame Caro Quintero. You know, um, she says that there are Mexican officials insisted that there was no deeper mystery to the case. This one guy killed him and we put the guy in jail. He was referring, of course, to Rafael Caro Quintero. So, you know, those are the people who think he did it. What's the evidence in support? Um, some of it says it's just he, he was the most reckless of them all, right? He was the least educated, most reckless, most ostentatious, probably the one who at that point thought he was the most untouchable. He also had the most motive, right? What was the the precipitating event or the most likely precipitating event relating to the DEA's actions? It was the raid on Buffalo. We've mentioned this over and over and over. Tiki Camarena had virtually nothing to do with Buffalo, but if Carl Quintero thought he did... And let me go back. Not only was it not Agent Camarena, it wasn't the Guadalajara office that had anything to do with Buffalo or virtually nothing to do with Buffalo. But if Carl Quintero thought that the reason that Buffalo was raided and assume for the sake of argument that it really was raided and that it, that it really was burnt down and it wasn't a, an elaborate subterfuge. Uh, in whole or in part, or I guess it would have to be at least in part. But if that really is a, a factor for Carlo Quintero, and he thought it came from the Guadalajara office, then that's a motivating factor, right? Also, keep in mind the supposition, and there, the, there is some evidence pointing this way, that Felix Gallardo financed in whole or in part Carl Quintero's operations at Buffalo. So in addition to losing money, he also could have had trouble with Felix Gallardo as a result of Buffalo increasing his motive. There's also the simple fact that everybody points a finger at Carl Quintero, right? Everybody who was alleged to have been at um, Lope de Vega involved in the kidnapping. Everybody says Carlo Quintero was there. And then you have the testimony that he's on the tapes. And last but not least, 
Dr. Vega was his house. Now, whether he bought it in an arm's length transaction through others from Rubens Uno Arce or otherwise, what we do know is it was his house, right? So you put that all together, and that's a pretty good case that it was Cairo Quintero, right? Now, what are the the things in opposition or reasons that it might not be Carl Quintero? Number one, you could make the argument that if anybody could be um, led into doing something, right? If the Mexican government or Miguel Angel Felix Gardo or anyone else, the CIA wanted to manipulate somebody to doing their dirty work, could have been Carl Quintero. So Carl Quintero might have been, you know, ostensibly the person behind it, but not really. So that's number one. Number two, did he really have that kind of power? We've talked about the fact over and over that. I don't think there was anything called the Guadalajara narcotics cartel. I don't think the relationship between Fonseca Caro and Felix Gardo was nearly as close as is portrayed in um, Narcos Mexico or other places. But he still had people to deal with, right? He had partners, he had business partners, he had... Um, others that he had a relationship with, could he do this on his own? Was he in a position that he alone could say or would say, I want to pick up a DEA agent? And I suppose you have to ask the question, would even he be that reckless? You know, people talk about the fact that he was uneducated. He wasn't very smart. I've heard incredibly disparaging things said about him in that regard. But he also ran Buffalo, right? He also did a lot of things. So maybe book smarts, but street smarts were being different. Wouldn't he, even he know that there are certain steps you can't take? Are there others? Are there others? One person that I think doesn't get enough talked about with respect to him is Javier Barber Hernandez. In the interrogation tapes, there's actually a line or two where Camarena says that he's more afraid of Javier Barber Hernandez than he is Cara Quintero. Barber Hernandez, you know, was a lawyer, was involved with the traffickers. It seems to me that he was somebody who wanted to move to a higher position, um, had an interest in establishing himself as kind of a leader. Um, maybe an action like this, either with or through Caro Quintero was a way to make that move, to establish his dominance. You know, compare it to John Gotti killing uh, Castellano, right? Castellano, sorry. Um, so there's that. Now, unfortunately, not a lot is known about him, and he was killed um, a short time afterwards, which also raises su- su- suspicions, right? Then we also have Thomas Morlett. And I want to read you from Agent Kirkendall's book. Give me one second here, please, because I'm having a little bit of trouble. Okay. But Thomas Morlett was a DFS agent. He also was heavily involved in um, drug trafficking, various things. Here is what Jaime Kirkendall says. And this is, um, I'm not sure 
Okay, page 82 of his book. And I'm going to read directly. On February 13, a message was passed from the United States concerning a telephone call received by a man working for another federal law enforcement agency. This man reportedly had received a telephone call on the previous day from a man he knew as William Wayne Collins. Collins had called from Guadalajara, Mexico, and he was noticeably upset because, according to the information, Collins had been standing less than 100 feet from the site where the DEA agent had been kidnapped. According to Collins, he had recognized two of the men as being members of the Thomas Morlett Drug Trafficking Organization. Collins had not realized he was watching the kidnapping of a U.S. drug agent until he read a newspaper a few days later, since the kidnapping did not make the local press for a few days. The message further explained that both the source reporting the call and Collins had known Thomas Morlett previously, The caller had stated that Morlet was a Mexican of French-Algerian descent, that he was the head of the Mexican DFS, that he was heavily involved in drug trafficking of both Mexican and South American drugs, and that he was fully capable of kidnapping a DEA agent. A subsequent interview with the source of information in the United States revealed that Morlet had previously been active in the Monterey, Nuevo León, and Torreon areas of Mexico as a DFS commandante providing protection for drug traffickers and large marijuana growers. Morlet allegedly owned two Longhorn Lear jets, red in color with black tigers painted on the tails, etc., etc. Then goes on to say that no name with that criminal record in the United States. If Thomas Marlette did exist, there was not much more readily available on him. Okay. I was skipping a little bit ahead. That's what Jaime Kirkendall says. He's, let me just go back um, to one, one line here. An investigation was set in motion to identify and locate William Wayne Collins. We also queried everyone concerning Thomas Morlette whom we had never heard of before. Neither probe accomplished much. So you have a witness saying it was Thomas Morlett, DFS agent. Now Morlett was actually picked up by the police in Tijuana, um, but was immediately let go because he was the DFS agent. He ended up being killed um, at the entryway to a restaurant shortly or a short time later, dubious circumstances, hard to know exactly what happened. Narcos Mexico does not portray him in a good way at all, in my mind. Doesn't comport with the facts. Again, editorial license. Is it possible that somebody like Thomas Morlett was really behind it? Perhaps. But then again, why is it that his name never comes up in any of the reports? How is it that somebody could be so powerful to be able to kidnap a DEA agent and yet the DEA had never heard of him? You know, maybe the response to that is keep in mind they didn't have a picture of Rafael Caracantero at the time either. I don't know. But is it possible that somebody like that was also involved? Maybe. So, my friends, that's the main um, or theories that I have. Who ordered Agent Camarena's abduction? Mexican government, Miguel Angel Felix Gallardo, CIA, Rafael Caro Quintero, or someone else like Javier Barber Hernandez or Thomas Morlett. So I hope that was illuminating. We're going to talk about a few of these things in some more detail. I've been doing some research, some really interesting facts that have come up that I think you're going to enjoy. There will not be a podcast next week. I am going to Florida with my daughter, and we will be at some Disney park next weekend. So no podcast next week. Um, Look for the newsletter. I'm having a slight problem, so it's going to be a day or so late. Um, There's a lot of really cool information in the newsletters. So 
sign up for it if you haven't. I think you'll enjoy it. <laughs> Excuse me. Joked for a second there. Um, the other thing I want to mention is, just so you know, I'm working on a second book, a follow-up to Someone Had to Die, takes the characters forward, deals a little bit with the camera in a case, but goes in some other directions. But in doing research for it, I found some just amazing stuff. Uh, so that's probably going to be out by the end of the year. Keep an eye out for that. Lots and lots of discussion about the CIA. So if you're interested in CIA and things the CIA have has done in various places, you'll enjoy that. This may be the longest uh, episode we've ever done, an, a little bit over an hour. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all of your support. And this has been Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena for next week. We'll be back in two weeks. Thank you very much. Take care.